0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. This past weekend, my kids and I got to talking. We started daydreaming about all the fun things we're going to do this summer. All the fun things we want to do with daddy when he comes home from army training. And the ever-evolving question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answers I got were pretty typical for a 6, 4, and 2-year-old. My oldest wants to be a police officer and a soldier in the army like daddy. My middle child wants to be a professional wrestler. And my 2-year-old just wants a lollipop. Thinking back on it, I had some pretty wild aspirations too. At one point, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then, I wanted to shoot some photos for National Geographic. Most importantly, I knew I wanted to be married, and I knew I wanted to be a mommy. Those are my vocations in life, and everyone's vocations are different. Merriam Webster Dictionary defines a vocation as a summons or strong inclination to a particular state or course of action, most notably a divine call to the religious life or the work in which a person is employed, their occupation. This weekend, we celebrate the World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life. Instituted by St. Pope John Paul II in 1997, World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life is celebrated in conjunction with the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord also known as Candlemas Day, which commemorates through the blessing and lighting of candles that Christ is the light of the world. And those in consecrated life are called to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to all peoples, so it's fitting that they're celebrated the same weekend. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or USCCB for short, has a Committee on Clergy, Consecrated Life, and Vocations. Every year, They commissioned the Center for Applied Research to conduct a survey for the religious profession class. The survey for 2021 polled women and men religious who professed perpetual vows in 2021 in a religious congregation, province, or monastery based in the United States. And they received some really fascinating responses from the 547 of 742 major superiors for an overall response rate of 74% among religious institutes. Here are some notable things to highlight from that survey that I found really interesting, and I hope you do too. On average, most reported that they were 19 years old when they first considered a vocation to religious life. The average age of responding religious of the profession class of 2021 is 37. Half of the responding religious are age 34 or younger. The youngest is 24. And the oldest is 70. 71% reported their primary race or ethnicity as Caucasian, European American, or white. 13% identifies as Asian, Pacific Islander, or Native Hawaiian. Another 13% identifies as Hispanic. 4% identify as African, African American, or Black and just two respondents identified as mixed race. Most religious, 76%, were born in the United States. Of those born outside the United States, the most common countries of origin are Vietnam and the Philippines, with five religious from each. On average, the respondents who were born outside of the United States were 23 years old when they first came here, And lived here for 15 years before perpetual profession. 86% reported that someone encouraged them to consider a vocation to religious life. Men are more likely than women to be encouraged by a parish priest, friend, mother, and parishioner. 99% of the profession class of 2021 have at least one sibling. 2 in 10 respondents earned a graduate degree before entering religious institute. 7 in 10 entered religious institute with at least a bachelor's degree, 63% for women and 77% for men. In our diocese specifically, during 2021, we had 154 priests in the diocese. Two were ordained last year. We have 19 seminarians, 273 sisters, 93 deacons, 22 aspirants, and 5 transitional deacons. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Father Jonathan Sawicki, Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Harrisburg, and Sister Geraldine Schmidt, a sister with the Sisters of Christian Charity, to help us fill in the gaps of what it means to be called to a vocation and how the journey can look different for everyone. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here to talk about this. Um, Father Swicky, could you tell me a little bit about your role in the diocese as Director of Vocations?
1: As the Director of the Office of Vocations, uh, it's a twofold position. Uh, First, which is what many folks don't see, it's the Director of Seminarians. So I am the liaison between the diocesan church, the bishop, and our seminarians at the four different seminaries that we use. So making sure that they are uh, progressing appropriately and whether it's their grades or whether it's some of their evaluations that they understand what's going on and, and assisting with growth and mentoring. Um, the more public position that I have that folks will see is uh, what I say it's kind of like the dog and pony show, which is when I am able to go to parishes or schools or high schools, campus ministries and the colleges and to give the young people an invitation to consider if the Lord is calling them to be a priest or a sister. Um, For those who are thinking about the priesthood, uh, I'll try to mentor them or just speak with them and try to give them the pointers, uh, see, evaluate where they are on that journey or on that that growth process. And then for young ladies, I'll talk with them, but I'm not a religious sister and I'm not the best to describe that. And I try to put them in touch with a religious sister or a vocation directress who might be connected to the charism that they may be drawn toward.
0: So, what is a vocation in the definition of the church? Are there different types of religious vocations?
1: A vocation is a call from God. Simply put, a vocation is a call from God that someone receives in the depths of their heart uh, after a, a pr- life of prayer and a life of sacrifice, a life of trying to give charity, okay, giving service to others. And then that heart slowly goes on fire. And then that person says, God's wanting more out of me. And then that's where that religious vocation comes from. And there are different types of religious vocations. This is the problem. When people will say, um, oh, you know, Sister Geraldine, she's the computer nun. And then other people who are more astute will say, she's not a nun, she's a sister. And people will say, well, what's the difference? Is there a difference? There is a difference and it's complicated, so
0: that's fascinating. I honestly didn't know there was a difference. Mm-hmm. that's really cool.
1: some people call it nonsense, <laughs> but uh there there there's 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 a key difference and sometimes it goes are the are religious sisters are active, and then other nuns are contemplative uh, some sisters are in religious orders, some are in religious congregations. De- and it all depends on the history and really most lay people, y- you really need like advanced canon law studies and to study the different constitutions of religious communities to understand well, what does this actually mean? But it, they, they all, all these religious communities and, and families that are present in the Diocese of Harrisburg have their roots in 2000 years of spiritual tradition. No, we're gonna even go further. Three thousand years of religious tradition, because the Carmelites in our diocese trace themselves back to the hermits that lived in Mount Carmel at the Jewish times. So this kind of spiritual practice and devotion go back for 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 centuries. And so, to someone on the outside saying, "Oh, this is all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo," it's not, because it it's all in the history of each religious family this family of consecrated life that came into existence at a particular time and place in the history of the church and still has its place in our church today
0: that is absolutely fascinating what was your journey into becoming a priest or a religious sister
2: so mine was a little bit different um
0: as a child, I was,
2: I was told that I did not have a vocation because I had an attitude, a snarky attitude. I used my fists and my mouth supposed, rather than my intellect. There's several, and I don't bra- say this braggly, but there are several uh, walls in my paternal home that has my fist print in it. So right off, I was not really just, I wasn't sister material. But when I was 14, I was in a very serious car accident in which I was thrown out of a car, 75 feet, six operations, um, to put me back together. And God showed himself through that. It was like a verbal two by four across the head saying, yes, there is a God and he's madly in love with me. I denied that for years, <laughs> you know, stop, going to church. Again, the snarky attitude came back and, um, it was not until after in college when I was a when a classmate of mine was discerning religious life and she said her car was broken down and asked me if I would go on retreat with her. Um it was vocation day, a uh, weekend for for the Sisters of Christian charity, which is the kind of kind of congregation that I belong to. And uh, I genuflected in chapel in front of the Blessed Sacrament and it felt like home and I never was there before. And my reaction to was, oh heck my parents, my father forcibly vo- voiced from him that he wanted me to f- finish college first, which I did. But the fact that that was 38 years ago uh, is something to say that, you know, like, God definitely saved me for to serve him.
0: Wow, I love that.
1: I was blessed to be able to go to uh, Catholic school all the way through in our Diocese of Harrisburg from kindergarten through 12th grade. And I still remember when Sister Marie-Therese Hirsch um, came into second grade to teach us about the Eucharist at St. Mary's Parish, 40 Hours. This is 1990. Sister Marie-Therese um, was the principal of our school in Coltman, and she drew a monstrance on the board, and she said, this is a monstrance. This is what you're going to see when you go into church. And inside that monstrance is a little white host that's the real presence of Jesus. And every one of you boys should think about whether God is calling you to be a priest. And we were preparing for First Holy Communion in second grade. And and she said, because the priest is the one who celebrates the Mass to give us the Eucharist. Now, I'd like to think out of what, maybe the 10 or 12 young gentlemen that were in that class that we all thought about that. I don't know, but I thought about that. And the thought kind of stuck all the way on through. And I entered seminary after graduating Our Lady Lord's High School, and uh, four years at Saint Charles Barromeo Seminary, four years at Mount Saint Mary Seminary, but um, I was no perfect. I was no angel. I was not perfect. But uh, you know, we're all on the road to perfection, if you will, just slowly working with God's grace. But those seeds were planted by a religious sister, um, and and continued to, to be watered by the lay teachers and the, the priests that we had in our parishes, um, that were great role models of faith and service to me.
0: That's awesome that you had that kind of support. And it's so great hearing that you guys had two totally different trajectories. That's just, that just blows my mind. And we touched on this a little bit, but how did you know this is what you were meant to do? I first fought it. I fought it
2: tooth and nail because, you know, your attitude prevented you from being a sister. But when I get... People ask me this. I I usually say, "How did you know your mother was going to be your your father's wife?" In the depths of your heart, you know that there's something there, you know. And it's you have to, it takes time to you know match your your heart and your mind. So there was wisdom in the fact that I waited until I finished college. I had grow. I was really immature. I had to grow up. I had some stuff to do, you know, to personally. But again, it's the, it's, the, it's the depth of your heart that you know it's right. Even though it might be hard, even though it might be scary, even though this is crazy, you know it's right for you.
1: Your heart keeps getting tugged toward that thought of vocation. What is God asking of you to do in your life? I think that the moment where I knew that this is home or this is where I was meant to be, was the first day in seminary. Uh, I think it was August 29th, 2001. And that was our first college class, my very first day of seminary. And you, you go into this um conditioned chapel in Philadelphia and St. Martin's Chapel at St. Bar- Charles Borromeo Seminary It's just magnificent. It's beautiful. And you go in there and you go to this mass and then you go to lunch and then you say goodbye to mom and dad. And then it's like, well, that's 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 it, okay? And now it's real, folks. You're in seminary. And it felt like home. Even though I other 90 other guys in that house that you didn't ever meet before, you might have known one or two other uh, seminarians from the Diocese of Harrisburg, and it was home. And it just felt um, there, there was a peace in the heart. And that's what I always tell people. You have to look at the peace in your heart. Uh, Because that's one of those signs that tranquility is a sign that, okay, you're meant to be. You're meant to be here. You're meant to be with this person. You're meant to be in this vocation.
0: Right. There's no, you don't have to fight it per se. It's very peaceful. Uh,
1: Our rector in seminary would talk about white knuckling it. If you're saying, I'm really happy here, but your your hands are on the edge of your seat, white knuckling it because that's how you're managing the cope. Well, that's a sign that this is not working for you. God doesn't want you to wipe. Now, we have to persevere. It's not a road paved in gold. There's always, every vocation, there's always a cross. You know, you've heard, I've heard priests say, I've never had an unhappy day as a priest. Oh, I've had unhappy days as a priest. There have been miserable days as a priest. I'm sure that in any marital relationship, you find out that your husband finds out his wife has cancer, that's not a happy day, but it's a day that he signed up for to help her carry that cross. One that no one would ever want, but that that's the, every vocation has the cross. But that that piece that I'm talking about is like, okay, I can still carry this cross and with dignity and it's, it's not gonna make me collapse.
0: So you both had pretty different paths for becoming a priest and a religious sister. Is there a typical path? As typical as people are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I would say the typical path is this. You begin to pray, and then God stirs something up in your heart, in the depths of your soul. And then you have to get that off your chest and talk to someone about it. And then the next step is a retreat, a, a visit to a come and see weekend at a religious house or a a retreat at the seminary. Now those things have been difficult because of this pandemic thing, uh, but but these are the.
2: But some people are doing it virtually.
1: And there are some people who are doing <laughs> it virtually. <laughs> you know, it, good point. I mean, but but that's but there are folks who do it right out the gate. They're leaving senior year in high school and and they know exactly what to do. And then there's others. Sometimes it takes a little longer. But that's the typical path is it's a path from prayer. Now, I I don't know about sister, but one of the first questions I always ask someone, so why do you think, well, tell me about your prayer life? Because it has to be the fruit of prayer. It can't just be the fruit of, well, my my grandmother always wanted a priest in the family and and all my older brothers are married. So now I think it's me. So do you pray at all? Well, time out. <laughs> it has to be the fruit of prayer.
2: I think, yes, what father said, hundred percent, um, prayer is important, but as you mature in your life, you're also, your prayer also matures. So the call vocation for whatever, you know, priesthood, consecrated life, marriage comes from deep contemplative openness to what God wants for you. Cause there's where true peace and true happiness lie. You know, I, I used to make little, uh, prayer rooms in the woods so my my first church in a sense when i was a kid was under a tree trees are are, are still tremendously important to me but that was something that i thought was was cool needless did i set you know to think about the fact that god was calling me even in, in those moments of playing in the woods under trees and being a, a present to him in nature
0: i love that was there someone in your life who encouraged you along the way? Yes. So
2: I can remember there was a, I had a, a sister of, um, a Franciscan sister of the Sacred Heart. She was my first and third grade teacher. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever met up to that point. She was the first Indian woman. So her brown skin, her white, her white teeth, her black hair, her dark brown eyes, I thought were Beautiful, and I used to love to watch her pray. Used to love to watch her pray. I looked her up a few years ago. She's still teaching in New Jersey. She's teaching religious ed in in, in New Jersey. And I told her about that, and she remembered my name. Holy, she remembered my brother's name. I'm like, you're better than I am as far as you know, siblings of kids that you taught. She taught my brother as well. But I said, you have no idea how much your watching you pray had an effect on me it was overtly apparent to a child that she was in love with God and that hungered that made me want that same relationship as well she never knew that she was encouraging me but she did because of what she of who she was and I realized after when I looked her up She was newly professed. She was just out of formation and just made her vows. So she was in her early 20s, (laughs) young one. (laughs) But it was just, it was awesome. It really was.
1: I think that there's many voices that were present in anybody's life. I mean, and it's, I I can't pinpoint it just to one. I think of the Sister Marie Therese in second grade and third grade. And then um, other the Felician sisters that I had at Holy Spirit School in Mount Carmel. And I i think of two other particular figures other than my family who did not tell me to think about this or to do this, but they expressed, my mom and dad especially, expressed openness. And I still remember that time halfway through seminary. My dad looked at me and he said, Son, if you're going to be a priest, be a good one. Mm-hmm. And I knew it, what he meant because he knew sometimes the ones that weren't the best examples or the best leaders or sometimes the most integral, they weren't fully integrated, you know, whether they were just a little ego driven or whatever. Cause my dad was as an active, always as an active parishioner, he saw the, the excellent ones. And he saw the ones that you just wanted to shake your head at and just, you know, roll your eyes. My dad, when he said that be a good one. And I knew what he meant because he, he would share with me at times you know, how to do things or his experiences in the church, you know, especially with leadership. And I think that family is important, okay, in, in the way that parents set the tone for, for that practice of the faith in the house. But I remember when Father Rosman, the vocation director, looked at me and said, John, Sister Rita, your principal, Sister Rita O'Leary, a daughter of the diocese, Sister Rita said that with you it's not a question of if but when you enter seminary. And it's like she's right, you know, admit defeat. But there was a deacon that was at my home parish right around that that very year, my senior year in high school, the summer before my senior year, and he he was ordained a priest of the diocese of Harrisburg. But nobody remembers him much as a priest because Deacon Bob Burns, who had a lot of good conversations with him that summer, he was ordained. I think it was June second, two thousand one, and he died the night of his ordination. But he was one of the reasons that I applied to seminary when I did. He was giving me a lot of encouragement to do that because I was able to, and he was an older vocation, he had some heart problems, and I think the excitement of the day of his ordination took its toll on him and he died that night. So it's one of these things, I look when he comes up in the necrology of the diocese, it's like, you know, what did he do as a priest, but celebrate that first mass with the bishop at his ordination, had a nice dinner and probably drove drove back to Philadelphia for his first mass and died that night but yet I entered seminary when I did because he was in my that in my life at that time mm-hmm. so and I think you know for anybody who's listening to this never underestimate that one encounter that you could have with someone mm-hmm. and and how it could impact them for a long
0: time that's really powerful we talk a lot about discernment but what exactly does it mean to discern?
2: Okay, so there is steps to it.
0: A lot of the a lot of the church
2: words that we that we use, it's it, it's there's a mystery behind it. Discerning is, in a sense, at a very high level, like a fifty two thousand airplane level, is stepping back from what you think, and what you th- you feel, and and being open to what the Holy Spirit wants for you. Okay. To write down any decision, pros and cons. Could be simple as a new job, looking for a new job, pro and cons. And then looking at those two lists and saying, okay, again, removing yourself from that whole process. Because if you're involved in it, you're going to pollute the waters. Okay? You have to be humble enough to say, this is, you know, on our baptism, we've been claimed for Jesus Christ. So you have to be humble enough to say that. This is this is my life, yes, but th- this is the life you've given me. What do you want me to do with it? And being open to the answer. And again, a very high level understanding of what that word is all about.
1: Whenever I speak to our young people in our schools or in our parishes, I say to them, discernment is prayerful decision making. It's what do I, what are the options before me? And prayerfully considering, I think that the, the key is here. What is good for the kingdom of God? We're told, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So what I do, I mean, some things are below God's pay grade. What am I going to have for dinner today? I have to discern this. No, you don't have to discern this. Just what what's already defrosted in order to cook up, and what are you in the mood for, okay? Versus well, what are the reasons that I am going to be visiting this person? Is it for selfish reasons? Is it for the kingdom? Is it for the the fact that it makes me feel important? Well, then that's not for the kingdom. That's for an ego, which can often be a, a stumbling block to a fuller relationship with God and a fuller service of others. And so I think that that's when discernment comes in, that we do this with our vocation in life. Well, do I want to be a priest because... I'm called to, by God, to give my life as an oblation, as a sacrifice, and to to offer the sacrifice of the Mass? Or is it to become the center point of a community and have kids come up and make you feel like the most important person in the world during Catholic Schools Week, and they uh, make you part of their skits and and whatnot at the, the little, you know, one of them is if someone says, "Oh, I want to do this because I see how important father is." To well, that's not self-giving. That's not for the kingdom. That's for your ego, and that's that can be very dangerous. Versus, we're, we're we're ready to do this, do this hard work of sacrifice and and of building up the kingdom of God. And I think that that's the key in discernment: is is it for the kingdom of God?
0: During your discernment or during your prayerful decision making. What would you say was one of your biggest challenges? I think
2: the biggest one, the last one was the biggest, actually two, two, both my parents didn't support nor condemn my decision. It's like, ma, dad, please tell me what you think. Nope. It's your life, which is hard. Like, you know, if, if maybe, I don't know. I mean, they knew that they knew their daughter. You know, the snarkiness of my say, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to do it anyway. Like, but it was hard for me not to know what they thought. And they chose not to tell me, you know, which was like, come on. So that was one. The second thing, um, after I decided, I discerned to enter and I filled out all the paperwork and all that nice things. I I have an undergraduate, undeclared degree in art. And I was just uh, appointed to do a mural for a company. And I went through all the preliminary works and had the, the mural planned out. And they wanted it to do to be done July, August, and September. This was like a 20-foot 20, 20 by 10-foot by 15-foot mural. And I was entering the end of August. And I'm like, well, should I do the mural and then enter? Should I wait another year? What should I do? I really want to do this. And I kept on saying, I can't do both. So I chose to say, thank you very much, but I can't do your mural. And I entered. And then my congregation is German. And German, at that point, has definitely changed. Artists had not to live and to not survive in, in religious converse, congregations, because back then, when I was initially formed, it was everybody make a right. You know, it, it was a square pegs and square holes. Now, put an artist in there, artists tended not to survive because they were round shaped. So when I entered and said that I was an artist, I was told you can't be, you'll never be an artist in this congregation. And I'm like, well, God has called me to be in this congregation. I'm an artist. Okay, God, you gave me the, the ability to do art, then you deal with this. And I I forgo it for for four and a half years. I didn't draw anything, didn't paint anything. I, I wasn't responsible for bulletin boards. It was something that I completely gave away. So ten years into this into this whole process. People kind of knew that I dabbled, but not really seriously. Um, my dad was dying of lung cancer, and I um, drew a picture of uh, Christ on the cross that was 36 inches tall, and my spiritual director said, I didn't know you do this. And I went, yeah. He goes, oh, you'll do more. And that's when he really made me own it in a very prof- uh, pro- profound way. And I, then I had a conversation with my beloved that said, so if you really want me to do this on a regular basis, then you need to get me framing. I have frames like you can't imagine. And I cut my own, I make my own frames now. I cut my own glass, cut my own mat. Um, I paint on practically anything that I have in front of me. Everything is repurposed. But that was just a, a journey. And I'm very happy that I gave it to him because it was a love gift. It really was.
0: As an artist, I, feel, I was just like, oh, man, you can't do that. At, what? And then oh, just hearing it come full circle that he won't take it away without nope. giving you back something better. And it's been tremendous. It has been
2: absolutely tremendous. You know, I, I've given uh, Undefeated Courage is the sidewalk counseling um, program um, for our diocese who actually has a mobile ultrasound machine. And they've had gala galas. And I've given them 50 images for their gala for their f- fundraiser. And I've given images to different schools and, and, and other things too, that just because part of it is the gift to be given away.
1: When entering seminary, realizing that it's not just like another college. And what Sister was saying, there's a death to self that we we have to give up of ourselves. And I think that's sometimes the hardest thing. I remember in college seminary, a couple times a year, we had to vacate the parking lot near the college division seminary in order to open it up for the visitors who were coming. So we had to move our cars. And it was such a pain. Now, in retrospect, it's like, okay, so you drive your car up to the other side of campus, and then you walk the eight, nine minutes to go back. But it was just that But then you you grumble, you grit your teeth because you're, you know, inherently selfish as a young adult, right? As a young man, teenager, adolescent, late adolescent, early young adulthood. And then you realize, you know, if I can't do this, how am I supposed to be comfortable answering the phone at 2.30 in the morning for the sick? How am I supposed to live a life of 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 celibacy for the rest of my life? Okay. And that, that dying to self is one of the hardest things. Like, you know, yeah, I have to say no to a friend. I I can't go to this, to this party, because I have other duties. Christmas, you know, not being able to have holy supper on Christmas Eve with my family because, well, I have to do Christmas Eve masses with my parish family. I knew this is what we sign up for to be, to 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 as, as Jesus said, forsaking father and mother. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm still a son, and I still have, I love my parents, but it's that that tension that we have to die to self in order to help other people have that
0: life. What advice would you give to a young person or any person? Cause I know that there are many generations who discern religious life. What advice would you give them?
2: Pray, pray and pray some more. <laughs> um, for, for religious congregations, there's a magazine called vocations. Um, and this is consecrated life for men and women flip through the magazine, see if there's ads that jump out at you. It was funny. I was, I was doing that just purely coincidental. And I saw my, my province, my congregation, my province, and I'm like, where's the Western province? Where's, I can't find them. And then an ad popped out and there's, there's where they were. I'm like, yes, I still belong. You know, that was kind of like a definitely aha moment for me, but Go through that magazine, see if there's 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 a ministries that you're interested in you know, like if you're called to be a nurse, you wouldn't join a teaching community things like that um, different congregations have have a different type of ministries the charism their their spirit like every as a teacher every class has a personality, every congregation every order has a personality you match with um you know, see if you can, if, if you belong, if your heart knows it's home, as what Father said before, that's where you start. And then after that, talk to people. It's always a, a process of more. You know, you begin visiting and then you want more. You go to retreat there. You want more. You go to a weekend, re- you know, day retreat, day reflection. Then you go a weekend retreat. Then you do a come and see, which is a, a week long sometimes. Um, it's always go to there their vow ceremonies and, and again, after COVID, if they're open, go to their big celebrations, their feast days, be present um, to them in, in whatever, and whatever you see fit. There's the process. It's always about more.
1: After that first step of prayer, I think it's important then to talk to someone to uh, reach out to either a campus, a youth minister, you know, if it's a young person in a parish setting or at the college High school setting to speak out, speak to that campus minister or youth minister, um, or priest or religious sister, and and ask those questions like, "How did you know? What are the signs? You know that I might be called to this." A Couple of times I've m- I met with a young man, uh, young men in the diocese I said, "Well, do you know what a priest does for a living?" Well, Father, I know that they say mass on Sunday. I said, "Okay, we well, got one day of the week down. What about the other six days?" And they say, you know, I really don't know. And then I know that there might be, a, uh, I was speaking with one of our pastors who was um, in touch with someone that I've spoken with in order to do a, you know, follow me around day, you know, see what a priest does in a routine day in a parish. And the, one of the dangers is sometimes you have a very quiet day in the parish and that's when the pastor writes the next four weeks worth of bulletin columns and starts working on Lenten plans and it's mid-January, Okay. And then there's other days where it's like drinking out of the fire hose because there's something happening every two hours or worse every hour on the hour and you just can't keep up with everything. Uh, so because every day is different, just like you know, there's routine, but there's always routine. When's the daily mass? When's Father praying uh, throughout the day? Uh, that that structure. And, and anyway, I, I think that that speaking with someone to find out. W- You know, is this something that I can see myself doing? And then when you're informed, like, "Oh, this is what he does," then you take that to prayer and add that into the discernment. Is this something I can see myself doing? Mm -hmm. Could I see myself fulfilled doing this? And then that's, and I think that that's that the form of reflection and discernment can really be the fruit of 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 vocational clarity.
0: What resources are available? We talked about some of the. Events that take place that we can go to, are there any or other resources, especially for women? I was able to find a whole bunch for men, but are there any for women? there are fiat fiates
2: okay so um if you go through that magazine, vocation magazine, and you contact the websites of the, the congregations, then there should be on their website someplace, come and see a weekend, you know reach out to the vocation direct, director directress or whatever basically the women are are, are kind of like hit and miss as opposed to the diocesan uh, priesthood the diocesan priesthood there's a there's a structure within the diocese that helps them out so the con- consecrated life men and women it's a different it's a different it's a different bear you know it, it's an individual call for a specific charism a specific uh gift of the holy spirit that th- that the holy Spirit gives to the church and it's you echoing echoing that my foundress, Blessed Pauline Van was a special ed teacher, and she worked with the blind and um, the blind poor, primarily, that she taught enough to do um, needlework and weaving, and there, there was the hook. Um, I have a special ed heart. Um, I have a learning disability myself, but my undergraduate degree is teacher of the handicap, and I worked with emotionally disturbed children um, before I entered, and that was the hook that some of her writings just made my heart swell with her specific vision of what education was all about. So that's unique to me, but each congregation has their own unique flavor and their own, own unique gift of the Holy Spirit charism, which individuals respond to.
1: We are planning as the vocation office in the Diocese of Harrisburg that uh, the last week of June, um, the last and it's a full week. It's it's that Sunday through Thursday. We are going to have Quavada stays down at Mount Saint Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, and uh, young men between the ages of 15 and 25 are invited. And I've already had a last a couple months ago. Someone say, Father, I'm 26. Would I be allowed to go? I said, I know someone. I'll get you in, okay. And because if this person isn't, you know, wants to take this retreat seriously, absolutely, I could work with this. Um, you know, on a case by case basis, but typically 15 to 25 and a uh, fiat days for the young women and with various religious communities is going to be in early mid July. It's not totally um, set in stone yet, but we uh, hopefully are doing it at a retreat house run by community of women, religious it's because um, it, it was more accessible and, um, there's some practical levels there that would be more beneficial.
0: Now, if somebody was interested in this, could they find the information on our diocese website?
1: If it's not on the diocesan website, it will be on the diocesan <laughs> website. So, And and also, information will go out in the parish bulletins and through the diocesan social media accounts. And then hopefully shared also on the individual parish social media accounts and websites.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I will be sure, that if it is on our website, that it will get linked in the show notes on Spotify so anybody can click on it. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. I definitely learned a lot and I hope whoever was listening that this resonated with somebody and whoever needed to hear it heard it. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.